Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 215. People say there's a million ways to shoot a scene, but I don't think so. I think there's two, maybe. And the other one is wrong. David Fincher. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's episode is brought to you by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. So guys, I am packing as we speak, but I said, no, 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 I got to get another podcast out this week before I head out to Sundance. And if any of the tribe is going to be out at Sundance, come out and see me. I'm going to be at the Slam Dance Black Magic presentation on Saturday between 2.30 and 4.30 up at Slam Dance in the main uh, hotel at the top of the hill. And there'll be a small mixer between 5 and 7 at Slam Dance as well where they'll be giving drinks out and everyone's going to be hanging out. Great place to network. And I'll be hanging out there as well. So please come by. I love to talk to you. I love to chat and talk some shop. Oh, and as a bonus, I was able to talk Black Magic into giving some stuff away a little bit of a raffle. They're going to be giving away a Video Assist 4K, a DaVinci Resolve Micro Panel, which I would love, a DaVinci Resolve Studio, full studio version, and a Fusion Studio license as well. So all you got to do is just show up, put your name, get, get a ticket for a raffle, which is free, and you guys can win some of that too. So I hope to see you guys there. I'll put all the information for the event in the show notes. Now, today's guest is Cole Walliser. Now, Cole has directed music videos, commercial, high fashion spots, and done some crazy stuff. And has worked with some of the biggest stars in the world, like Katy Perry and Pink. And he did all of this without going to film school. And that's what I really wanted to highlight in this episode. Cole went out and just hustled his way into 
a job and many jobs after that and learned along the way. And I just wanted to bring them on so to show you guys that you don't have to be, you don't have to go to film school to succeed in whatever you're trying to do. It, everyone has different paths. Some film school, some people like film school and it's great for them. Other people don't. It's just different options, but you don't have to go if you don't want to. So without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with director Cole Walliser. I'd like to welcome to the show Cole Walliser, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm super stoked. You know, we've never had a commercial director, high fashion kind of guy on the show because we focus mostly on indie film. But I, that's my roots. My roots come from commercials and, and music videos. And then that's how I kind of transitioned into independent filmmaking. And I still do those every once in a while as well. But there's a lot to be learned, especially in today's world, uh, about, you know, the commercials and music videos and digital content and all a lot of the stuff that you're doing, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So I'm really excited to uh, to get into it with you. Cool. I'm super happy to share. I mean, I think that the landscape of filmmaking and content creation is changing rapidly, as we all know. So I'm happy to contribute to the plethora of information you're putting out there. This is great. <laughs> Thanks, man. So you didn't go to film school. Uh, so how can you share how you became a world-dominating director like you, yourself. <laughs> well, I'm still on my way, but I, I appreciate the comment there. Um, for me, you know, it started with, I think a lot of people too, this this kind of occurs this way, like through skateboarding and snowboarding. So I used to skate. Spike Jones model. Spike exactly, Jones model. totally. Yeah, I, I, the Spike Jones route, you know what I mean? I don't, I, a little bit different route uh, overall, but still the same sort of beginnings where it's like, we would just film each other skating and I kind of had a knack for it. People would just generally hand me the camera more often than not. Like, oh, cool, you can get cool shots. You can, you know how to shoot this stuff. So I started kind of getting into it back then. This was like in the 90s. Um, then learned how to edit VCR to VCR. And then I was like, oh, let me try to tell like a story or let me try to shoot something, you know. And it just basically progressed and got like one little job, like a tiny little thing and a tiny little thing. And it just kind of like worked my way up essentially. You know, you're, you are based in L.A. So were you doing this all in L.A.? No, I'm from Vancouver, Canada originally. Mm -hmm. So that was a big that was a That's big why thing, you're you know? so nice. That's why uh, you're yeah. so nice. <laughs> That's it. it could be a part of it. Yeah. I try to perpetuate that stereotype for sure, being a friendly Canadian. Um, but yeah, you know, I was in university, like going to school. I have a degree in psychology. And during my schooling, I started you know, I bought a Mac, I bought a DVX one hundred A. Yes. Um, and yeah, they're like that's that's my roots, like mini DV twenty four P. I was like, this footage is amazing. Yeah, it's just <laughs> you like know what I mean? Final Cut just like they ingested it beautifully. Oh, it was, totally. it's just so work yeah, well, don't get me started. DVX one hundred A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We the, can, we could, the we DVX one hundred A was the beast, stuff. man. That was the beast oh, of its day. So, you know, I really started getting into it during during college and you know, I would just do my school but like go home and shoot and edit. And then so in the midst of it all, I just decided, I was like, well, what do I want to do? Like, I, I enjoyed my degree, but like, what am I going to do with a psychology degree? And I'm like, I really want to be a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was like, I got to go to L.A. Because for me, you know, there wasn't there was no avenues back then for someone in Vancouver to direct. There was a big film industry up there, but it's like it's crew. It's gaffer grip, you know, sure. whatever. Right. Sure. Um, so I was like, if I want to direct, I got to go to L.A. So I got a lawyer and got the whole deal and made, made the jump. And that was 11 years ago. Mm hmm. And and yeah. that, and you just literally landed and it's like, okay, let's start making stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically. So the other part of my background is uh, I used to, I, I mean, I still dance, but I used to dance a lot. I used to, you know, uh, b-boy break dance and like do hip hop choreography. Sure. Um, and so when I came out to LA, my group of friends were very much involved and still to this day, like very much involved in that world. And so for me, you know, um, being a video shooter and editor back then, 
dance obviously was the easiest slash coolest thing I could shoot. And so a lot of the stuff I did back then was involved in the dance community. And that actually got me my first couple big breaks. Um, mm. And so, you know, for, for me, it's just like, it's, it's so, it, it was, it was really helpful to have that because otherwise it's like, it's just so easy to make cool. You know what I mean? Like shooting right. dance is like, you get people to just do some cool stuff and you're like, oh, my footage is awesome. You know what I mean? So that was like the easiest way to like make some cool stuff um, at the top of my career for sure. Now, so so basically you were using – because a lot of – there's so many people that come – you know, 11 years ago showed up to LA and trying to be mm-hmm. – you know, try to become a director. But you use what you had – your resources you had available to you, which was your talent as a, as a, as a dancer to kind of open up – to get into that kind of subculture. And yeah, then, and then start growing from there. So similarly to, and I'll use Spike Jones again as an example, because um, I, I I studied Spike's stuff back in the day in New York, and he was just doing constantly doing these skateboard videos till someone found them. In, in yeah, and literally in a club, they were watching some videos up and like, who shot that? Oh, that that skinny kid in the corner. Oh wow! <laughs> and then and then he started getting commercials, and then from there, yeah. it, it took off. But it was it's it's interesting because a lot of people always want to know how do you break in? How do you break in? And how long did it take you? to get like that first gig after doing all those kind of cool videos? I mean, you know, it started, it wasn't, I, I, there's a, a moment that I attribute as sort of like my quote unquote big break. Cause there was sort of like my first bigger job for like a major artist, but like I had been sort of quote unquote working prior to that, even within the dance community. So one of my first jobs out in LA was like editing dance like reels and choreography reels and shooting little dance numbers for dancer friends. So those were like my first jobs, you know what I mean? But it was just like a friend going out, shooting a dance video in a park and cutting it together and like putting it on DVD. Cause YouTube like wasn't even a thing mm-hmm. back then. <laughs> you know <laughs> no. what I mean? So those are like my first kind of little jobs. And again, like, you know, I'd started getting better and started charging more, but like my first break job would, it's kind of this, this thing for Miley Cyrus. So in 2008, mm-hmm. She did these online dance battle videos where, like, two crews of, like, dancers, one from the movie Step Up 2, mm-hmm. um, and Miley Cyrus and her whole crew of dancers, like, had these online dance videos. And so I was – I mean, the dance community, everybody's friends with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was better friends with uh, Miley's choreographers. So these two women, Allison Falk and Teresa Espinosa, um, I've been friends with them for years. So they're, like, they're planning to do this dance video, and they asked me to shoot it. So that was, like, the first thing – that I had with like a major artist because at that time, 2008, like Miley was Hannah Montana, like just taking over the world. Right. So so that was like a really cool thing for me to have something kind of like on, you know, out in public that people were talking about. Um, And I met a bunch of celebrities and stuff through that, but it still was like everybody kind of get together and like shoot this little thing from there. Um, Allison went on to choreograph for pink for her 2009 Funhouse tour. Mm -hmm. And she brought me on, just well, actually, I came for free. She wanted to get some footage of sure. her working with with Pink, so I just started hanging out one or two rehearsals and shooting some stuff. I met the tour director, I met her, and they brought me on for like a couple of days BTS. Mm-hmm. In that mix, they needed the opening video for her tour directed, mm-hmm. and Dave Myers, who's a huge, huge, uh, you know, music video, yeah, huge music video director. He does all her music videos. He was going to do it, but their like time was short. They didn't have that much money, and like they needed something done. And so they they just took a chance on me and asked me to put together a budget and see if I could do this little opening video for the tour for cheap. And I was, of course, like, oh, yeah, like I'll do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I feel like that was like the first job that was like, you know, for major artists, for like a more 
traditional platform um, and that they really like took a chance on me. So I sort of attribute that big break uh, to working with Pink. Now, would you would you also would you also say that because I, I talk a lot about on the show about you know when to work for free and and you mm-hmm. know kind of stuff up. My first big you know job was because I worked for free for four months just hanging out because I had sure, nothing yeah. else to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they finally just like, hey, he's been here for four months. Let's give him a job. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, do you feel that? Your personality, being nice, being someone pleasant that you can sit with in a room, which is also a very big, you know, factor in these jobs, as well as just offering yourself up, your services up for free because you saw the value of doing that. Is that obviously one of the keys to to getting your big break? Absolutely. You know, if I wasn't willing to come shoot rehearsal for free, I would have never have gone down that path and never started working with Pink. And like that turned into like an eight or nine year working relationship across a number of albums, across a number of different types of media with her. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, it was this huge, huge thing. And if I was like, had an attitude about it, like, ah, nah, like, you need to pay me to show up, which people do. <laughs> and like, I, I have that attitude sometimes too. You know what I mean? Right. Definitely. But, but if I, I was, if I wasn't, if I didn't sort of like see the potential value of that and be okay with working for free, I would have never had this career path. And, and so many subsequent things came from that moment. Like my whole career sort of was based on that because from Pink, I got Katy Perry. And then from both of them, I started doing CoverGirl and then CoverGirl led to Pantene and Almay and like all this other stuff started from me going, oh yeah, I'll come shoot you for free for a day or two. Sure, why not? You know what I mean? Like just being willing to, to invest in that, I think is, is hugely valuable. But you have to be, you know, you can't work for free always. You got to pay no, your course. bills, right? Of course. So, it's important to find that balance. Um, and, and what you were touching on too, like these other factors, like what I, you know, when you first get into directing, it's like, I, you know, my vision of it is like, Oh, like here's a guy that is really creative and has all these really cool ideas. And yes, it's a huge part of like being a director, especially in like the music video and like short form content world, Mm -hmm. come up with cool ideas, but there's so much more to like, like you said, sitting in the room and like having a good meeting or like, you know, being either good to work with or, or being good at communicating or just being like a good manager and team builder, like those facets of directing are so much more valuable than I ever thought. And it took me a while to like be in that world and working as a director to really realize those lessons, you know? So from the moment you landed in LA to the moment you got that job with Pink, the working mm-hmm. for free, how long was that? Well, I drove. And no, my no, car just, broke down. no, 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 not from the, the, the literally when you landed in LA. How long did it take in general? Like how many months? How many years uh, before you got let that? Let me think. I, I Pink was, I guess, three three years. Okay. I, I started in LA 2006, and I started working for Pink 2009. Miley was 2008. Pink started in 2009. So. And you were just doing any job you can get along the uh, uh, yeah, those situations. Yeah, just a ton of dance stuff, like editing, you know, choreography reels, shooting mm-hmm. dance numbers. Uh, you know, a couple little music videos. A ton of dancers that are trying to be artists, so we did music videos for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just anything anything I could shoot, I was down to shoot. You know what I mean? So the, the reason I'm asking is because I want to impress upon the audience that like it doesn't happen overnight. And before you even got to to LA, oh, you had yeah. already had years of work that you were building up in Vancouver. Absolutely. You know, I, I was shooting a ton of stuff in Vancouver. It wasn't like when I landed in LA, it's like, oh, here, now I'm here in LA and I'm going to start shooting stuff. You know, it, it was 
it was years, you know, just staying in Saturday night being like, oh, I'd rather edit something than like go out and party. And especially at like 21, you know oh, God, I mean? but I found, imagine? I found myself, you know, I found myself um, wanting to stay in and wanting to just like create stuff on my computer rather than go be social was, was more satisfying for me. Now, can you discuss a little bit about your work with digital content? Because I feel there's this is an area that a lot of filmmakers don't even know about, and it is a potential place where they could start working. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's growing exponentially, and it's really I've been fortunate enough to so, sort of be in the mix, and even with some of these really big ad agencies, as the tides are sort of changing in this respect, right? So when I first started working for CoverGirl, which I think was well, I don't even know the year two thousand. 10, 11, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just like Facebook. I mean, YouTube was a thing, but like we would make some content and we're like, okay, we're going to put it on Facebook, right? Um, and Facebook and wasn't then, Facebook in 2010, 2011 yet. It was still not like the kinda, way it is. Yeah, now, it was yeah. growing. It was growing. MySpace was Absolutely. still all the rage. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> definitely, right? But we were like making content. You know, there was like kind of some ways to put content out, but it was just that good to like have behind the scenes, whatever, right? Sure. And it was very much like, you know, for a campaign, they would do a print ad a broadcast ad, and then like they'd have me or somebody there just shooting some behind scenes. Mm-hmm. That was like the very first thing. As time went on, like as a few years started to pass, you know, they started to realize, and I started to realize that all of the eyes on their like from their demographic mm-hmm. were not reading magazines, were not watching TV. They were consuming almost all of their media from digital content, from social media, from Facebook, from Instagram, from YouTube. And so there was a moment where, you know, the ad agency pulled me and this other still photographer that does a lot of this stuff together aside and was like, okay, here's the deal. We don't care about broadcast. We don't care about print. We only care about what you're doing because what you guys do is what our, our sort of demographic, you know, consumes. And we were like, oh, this is crazy. Like, you know, it's been, you know, the broadcast and print ads have been standard for Sure. decades oh, you know yes. and so now they're going like we don't care about that we care about what you're doing so the pressure was on but then also i was like well can we get the budgets that you that you give out for the broadcast ads so but it was it was interesting to see it grow and you know over time they start giving us more more uh, bigger budgets and like more to do as far as digital content because there's so many outlets and so many formats and it can be annoying but there's a huge market because that's really how people especially young people consume media these days mm-hmm and, and and what is exactly the digital content? Just basically behind the scenes, commercials for... Well, it, you know, it, it, it originated as behind the scenes, but now we do like our own content. So, um, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to put in a box because it's really like, it's anything. really anything. It, it's yeah. anything, yeah. It's, it's anything. But like, there's really cool jobs. And even, you know, I got a job just recently where I flew to Albuquerque to shoot like an Instagram story and make a little video from this like hot air balloon event. But I was like, this is awesome. Like, Hey, I get to go to this cool event. Sure. But like, and the budgets was like, not bad, like, sure. did, like worth my time. And, and granted it was just like me and another guy, we hired a local guy too, mm-hmm. just a small crew, but you know, we're there just to make a really cool Instagram story. And I was like, there was a revelation for me. I'm like, Oh, companies are like putting money behind this content. They realize how valuable it is. Cause it's such good target marketing. Like sure. everybody who follows that company is interested in that company. So if you're making good content, you're going to engage them rather than the traditional media, you know, print ad. It's like, you know, only 10% looking at that print ad is caring about what you're saying. So it's like, 
is very low targeting. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's more it's getting away from the inter uh, the interruption uh, marketing as opposed yeah. to more of a content marketing. Yeah, but but you know it could be short form. It could be anything from you know like an Instagram story video or a, you know an edited piece or whatever. But the cool thing now, what brands are doing, which I, I'm finding really exciting, is they're basically paying for cool ideas by just attaching their brand. So there's a lot, there's a big market nowadays where if you have a cool idea or a cool story you want to tell, mm-hmm. you can basically go to any company or go to like a marketing company and be like, hey, I have this story about, you know, these like this homeless skateboarding crew that's super cool. You know what I mean? And like, I want to go tell this story. You can partner with a brand. The brand's going to give you money to tell that story. And then they're going to just use it, you know, as a thing that might go viral. So it's like companies are now funding all these really unique stories that are mm-hmm. short form anywhere from like three to five minutes. Um, yeah, so kind of like what uh, Casey Nastat does on YouTube and, and those guys, all those YouTubers do similar stuff like that where they go totally, off, yeah. yeah, and they get sponsored by Samsung or Red Bull or something like that to go off and direct a short film basically. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, there's just a, there's infinite amounts of opportunities and options in the digital sphere right now that and actually have money behind them. And it's growing exponentially, like you said. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's an exciting area. And, and for me, you know, like when it started, I was not against it, but you know, like growing up, I was watching broadcast commercials. So I'm like, <laughs> sure. I don't want to do broadcast commercials. Like I don't want to do this like digital stuff because at first, you know, nobody was doing anything cool sure. on it. Right. Sure. But now I'm like, oh, everybody's making cool stuff and, and it's, it's a great sort of ecosystem be, to be a part of. Yeah. It's like being a YouTuber in 2005, not very sexy. Yeah, no, no. But now it's like, yo, there's YouTubers making a ton, making like 200, 400 grand a year off making YouTube videos. And I'm like, wait a second. Some are making that a month. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the top ones, I mean, the top ones are making millions, but like there's a huge population that like people you don't even know about and they're making a couple hundred grand a year. That's what I find fascinating about the whole landscape is that there are people out there because before the, the, you know, there was three, only, only three channels you could watch and there was only so many movies that that was it. That was all it was. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the stars were the stars. You know, there was Tom Cruise, there was Brad Pitt and you know, these are the stars, but now you've got these little guys like on YouTube somewhere with 5 million followers pulling in like a mil, two mil, three mil a month. I mean, a year. And, uh, and just like, who the hell is this that so you don't, it's all, it's, it's kind of, instead of trying to hit the broad market now, everything's become much more niche. Would you yeah. agree with that? I, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, you can find your lane, you know, anywhere and like build, build a brand and build an identity that you can then market. It's, it's so crazy. The power that it's, there's so many good like pros and cons with the way it's working right now. Mm-hmm. But the pros is like, you really can be in control of your own fate as a content creator um oh man there's people hold lawn. on i gotta shut my window <laughs> lawn show yeah lawn <laughs> gardeners are out there um yeah you know um oh well no i lost my train of thought uh you were talking about content creators and, and making your own brand yeah there's just so much opportunity to like to to find these niche markets and i think that's like what netflix is doing really well the the world of like network TV is so different and like it's so hard to to successfully make content in that world. I, I had a TV show in development with NBC for a number of years mm-hmm. and just the revision, like the idea changed a million times from the, you know, from the original pitch. 
But in that process, I learned about how, you know, their approach on making TV. And like they basically, because it's so expensive and because they're putting so much behind it, they need everything they put on TV to be a hit. And that's why they cancel shows after three episodes, because if it's not a hit, they got to put something else in there because it's just too expensive to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have Netflix, and that's why also also like NBC or, or networks, like it gets watered down because they're trying, they need like 3 million people to watch it. So it's like broad. you never get too, yeah, super broad and like, Everybody's just like, eh, it's okay, you know, but like you don't get to dive in any particular topic or, or niche because they're trying to appeal to everybody. Whereas same, thing Netflix, with mo- same thing with movies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Whereas Netflix, it's like it doesn't really cost them as much to put it on. They just, you know, push upload, right? <laughs> and so but, – but their model is so different where it's like they'll pay for 10 shows, which is the cost of one network show, and maybe eight will be horrible, but two will like – just pop. And so, and then these two are such these like niche things that people love. It's a much better way to, to create good content, to, to be in these niche niches. So it's like with your own branding and with your own social media or your own content, you know, you look at it's, you should look at that digital model where it's like finding your own lane to create something that either isn't been, hasn't been creative or have your own identity or like creating something that people can connect to um, is, is a far better way to try to, than trying to appeal to everybody like the networks have historically been doing. Now, when you work with, when you were working with your first big star, like pink, let's say, mm-hmm. what was it like on your first day on the set? <laughs> um, well, okay. So with her, you know, I, I showed up at rehearsal, you know, and met, met her and I knew some of the dancers and stuff already. So that was like a very nice, like chill introduction. Cause it mm-hmm. was just like me hanging out there doing the thing. But the first day on set, I was like, we shot at her house and that was like, I was definitely nervous <laughs> because I, it was just like such a big thing. And I'm like, oh were- man, like I'm making this video for like, it's going on tour for a year and a half and like 15,000 people are going to watch this. Like is the first thing of her show, like pressure was on for <laughs> sure. Um, so definitely just nervous going in. I, but I feel like the actual day of, um, it was fine. I just made sure I was super prepared as far as like shots and what we needed and what the plan was. Right. Cause I definitely didn't want to be caught on set going like, uh, uh, I don't know what to do, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> which happens sometimes. So I was just, I was definitely nervous, but I, I, I think I probably overprepared, um, just to make sure we never fell behind or, or nobody was looking at me like, what should we do? And I didn't have an answer. Right. This kid doesn't know what he's doing. Get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. That was my <laughs> biggest fear. I was like, as long as I just get through the day and don't look like an idiot, I think I'm fine. <laughs> now, how do you deal with agency clients and talent on these high profile commercials that you do? Uh, it's, it's tricky. And I, and I will say that that's, I feel like that is a huge part. Like that skill is a huge part of continuing to work in that arena mm-hmm. because the, you know, everybody, all those people have power, right? So it's like talent, talent ultimately has all the power, right? So mm-hmm. if talent doesn't want to do anything. Then it's like, they're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Client has power because they're paying for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, they'll say, Oh, this and that. And then agency has power. Cause it's like, they put that idea together. So hopefully they're all in alignment, but often they're not. <laughs> right. And so most, most of the time, most time they're not, <laughs> Um, and so it takes a certain, it's a very specific skill to like, you know, manage all these different personalities, but still get what you want to get in the can. You know what I mean? Cause right. you're still there trying to do your best job too. Hmm. So often 
for me, I've been fortunate enough to come in usually with the talent side. Like with CoverGirl, I came in with Pink and like with a pre-existing relationship with Katie. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can always kind of defer to being like with them, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can always go, oh, well, Katie doesn't want to do this. So it's like we can't do that or whatever. You know what I mean? You're in the you're in the talent camp. I'm on the talent camp. Yeah, yeah. At least I try to align myself in that way because they ultimately have all the power, right? So that's one thing. But, you know, there's been so many instances where you're on set and, you know, the creative director from the agency is wanting to do something, the client's wanting to do something, and you're just really trying to appease it and make your day and your schedule. I don't know if there's any, like, specific piece of advice Mm -hmm. other than... Just got to do it. (laughs) Just be nice. (laughs) And, like, but there's, you know... I think one lesson I've had is that like there's a limit where I realize that I can't do what I set out to do mm-hmm. and I don't I don't necessarily give up but I'll sort of like I know that like someone is like gonna overbearingly force their opinion on the production mm-hmm. and I'll fight it for as long as I can but there's sometimes a point where it's like okay like we're just gonna do all these ideas that you want to do because I I can't even convince you otherwise so that's not a fun position to be in, but it happens, you know, Mm -hmm. but most of the time you can usually reason your way out of it. You can be collaborative. You're there also for a reason. You know what I mean? Like they hired you Mm -hmm. to create something for you to bring your vision to it, for you to like materialize their original idea. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important thing not to forget. You're not just there as an employee. It's like you're there to contribute too. So it's really, it's really about a balance knowing when to push back. And actually here's a piece of advice. Picking and choosing your battles. That's a huge thing because sometimes it, there's things that, that are worth fighting for as far as like what the creative director or whoever wants to do. And so sometimes it's really important to go, okay, I'm going to let you have this one. We're just going to do that because I know that we're going to like butt heads later and I'm going to want to fight for the, whatever this thing is later. Mm-hmm. So picking and choosing your battles is super important. When to just sort of like give in and, and when to really fight for what you believe in, I think is an important tactic to sort of put in your belt it's 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 you're kind of like the opposite joe pitka yeah 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 Yeah, i don't take the joe pitka uh, approach in directing commercials but i mean if you can you know shoot do it you know like so so just just for the audience to know who joe pitka is if you guys have not heard of joe pitka joe pitka is a legendary commercial director who's been around for probably i'm thinking 50 years i mean he's been around forever forever. uh and he's worked on he i can't even tell you what he's worked on he's he's and he's also director of a of a feature film called space jam uh that he did back he directed space jam he directed that he directed space jam yeah because it was my because it was michael jordan and he did all the michael jordan commercials back in the day and that's how they kind of put it all together and joe is legendarily the biggest um uh, well let's let's say the the (laughs) biggest uh, he's 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 rough Uh, he's a rough person to deal with i've heard him i've heard of stories with him you know literally breaking a client's bones or agency's bones while playing basketball Oh wow! Uh, that was his favorite thing. It's like, hey, you have a problem? Let's go play some basketball. And that would be the end of the problem. So he had multiple yeah. lawsuits against him um, over the years. Yeah. But he was just one of those guys. Uh, that, and, it, and like you said, if it, I mean, I would never condone that. But, uh, but I guess if he could do it, I guess that's what, that, that was his process. The other, the other thing that sort of comes to mind that's really important to like understand like working in this industry is, is when and where you have leverage. You know, and it's always it's always this balance of like whether or not you have leverage. So for Joe, you know, having, you know, created this massive career, he almost 
inherently becomes like talent. You know what I mean? Oh, like, oh this is Joe doing a commercial. So now right. he has like that talent leverage. So if he throws a hissy fit, if he tells client to screw off, it's just like it's talent now doing that because he has that leverage because he has that history. You know right. what I mean? It's like Michael Bay doing Victoria's Secret commercials. Like he's he's as important as the models are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So like whatever he says goes and it's like you can't really fight him on stuff, right? Because he has that leverage. And so I don't think the goal is to like have enough leverage so you can be like an asshole. Right. But like <laughs> understanding when and where you have leverage is really, really important to sort of assert however you want to navigate the job or your career. Mm-hmm. Um, because without any leverage, it's like, it's really tough, you know? And even if you're just coming in as a job, like, and, and you're, you feel like there, everybody else is sort of like at a higher place than you, you know, you still, there's always an angle where you're like, Oh, like, what am I bringing to the table? Like, how can I leverage my benefit to this production to sort of like not get what I want, but make this a good experience or like contribute in a meaningful way. And, you know, knowing, knowing what you can and can't do by understanding your leverage, I think is really important. It's a great piece of advice, actually. A lot of people don't understand leverage, <laughs> and when and when you can apply it, and when you actually have it. it it's it's tr- it's a tricky thing to understand, and and I think for me, it's taken time, you know, over years to really understand it. And that's the fir- that's honestly the first thing. Whenever I go into any negotiation or any sort of like any discussion about collaborating or whatever, it's like I mean, I guess mostly with ne- negotiations. I, I try to identify as fast as I can what my leverage is. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why am I in that room? Why are they asking me to do something? Like, and how how do I benefit them? And how can I use that to sort of either, if it's negotiating your deal, like, you know, how can I get the best deal because of my value in this in this project? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, when, uh, when you're working alongside artists like Pink, Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, what is the collaborative process like? You know, it, it varies. Sometimes it really surprises me how much like free reign I have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so for some of them, it just depends on the job, obviously, you know, for like when we're doing like cover girl stuff, it, you know, the agency is very specific with, with the whole campaign and sure. what they need and, and, and you know, you're very regimented. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But you know, I, I did these, um, four music videos for pink in 2010 or 11 that were playing, uh, for this festival tour she was doing. And the whole theme was like a freak show carnival thing. So her management said, here's four songs we want you to write treatments for. General ideas, kind of, you know, it's like she's a circus ringleader and like she's a bearded lady and then she's a giant. Like all these different freak show ideas for like these four music videos. So I went home and I wrote out four different concepts for these four different music videos and I sent them off to management and to her. And I didn't hear anything. And I was like, are there notes or like do you guys, are, are, is it good? And then I got a word like, okay, good, we're just going to, we're going to shoot them. And I was like, nothing like no like no <laughs> nothing no notes no consideration just like okay first like draft mm-hmm. you know like we're just gonna go shoot it so that really surprised me but at that point you know we had we had a really good working relationship mm-hmm. and so they trusted me um so it but it varies from that where it's like you know cole come up with some ideas and we're just gonna go do them to very very detailed specific things um so it really it really spans the whole the whole range. Like sometimes people are cool, and sometimes they're they're micromanaging what you're doing. So it doesn't it it varies every time. Unfortunately, I can't I can't be more specific than that. <laughs> sure, of course. Now, yeah. what what are some of the challenges of, of working alongside you know mega stars? Because I'm sure there are some. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, scheduling is the is the the trickiest aspect because they're so busy. Mm-hmm. It's like. 
you know, your shoot can always get pushed, you know, last minute. You're like, you're there and they're like, oh, they're not coming because they have like, you know, this extra XYZ thing they got to do. So scheduling is always an issue. And even in the day, you know, they're always like, you know, the crew's doing 12 hours, but they're three hours in the chair. And then like, you know, they have a hard out at this time. So you're really only getting, you know, six hours with them. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So scheduling is always like a tricky thing. Um, but you know, usually, usually the, the process is pretty like fun and cool. Like most of the time, especially when I'm doing like tour stuff, Mm -hmm. I'm creating stuff for their tour. So they have like a vested interest to like make it as best as they can. Like, you know, this is, this is for them. I, I think in the commercial world, it's less for them. If they're doing like a campaign for some company, mm-hmm. it's they're doing the campaign for that company. They're less vested in, in doing everything that they can to make it the absolute best that they can. Mm-hmm. But when it's for their tour, I get like that super hardworking, the there to the last minute version of them. Cause this is like for their tour. Right. Right. A prime example is when uh, we were shooting the stuff for Katy Perry's California Dreams tour. Mm-hmm. It was this monstrous thing. So basically, we, you know, I wrote and directed, I think maybe six or seven little short segment videos that played between all the acts mm-hmm. of that concert that told a short story throughout the whole show. So the whole concert had a narrative, and mm-hmm. these short films like interweave between all the acts to tell this little story. So we shot over three days on this stage. First day was like a build and pre-light, and then we shot two days with her. The first day was 14 hours. The second day was like almost 17 hours, like insane shoots. But, you know, she was there to the last shot. And, you know, we were we're at like hour 15. She went up to her green room. She grabbed a bunch of beers, brought them all down for the crew and just thanked everybody for being there, handed out beers. And then we got the last hour in. So like that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, like you're really, you know, you're here working just as hard as everybody else, you know? So that was really, that really impressed me and always sort of stayed with me as far as, you know, working with Katie on that. Now, what are your views on the ever-changing landscape of filmmaking technology? I mean, that's a great question. (laughs) I I think that there's, you know, like we touched on before, there's so many benefits. I mean, I think that there's some negatives, but there's so many more benefits that I think are so cool with what you can do today. It excites me. Mm-hmm. You know, like the idea that you can, you know, go shoot a, a feature, edit it on your laptop and put it out to the world is awesome. Like that, that literally was like, there was gatekeepers and you literally could not do that mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's super exciting. And just like how, you know, technology is getting better and better. You can shoot better and better. I think the determining factor now is talent, not so much equipment because before it was like equipment. If you had access you know, to film cameras, like whether or not you were good, you were making something and because no one else was making anything. It, it would access, sold. People were watching. Yeah. People it would, would, would sell. People would watch it. Right. Right. So a, it's harder <laughs> to get noticed because everybody's making stuff, mm-hmm. but you have that opportunity to like, go make your own thing. And like, you know, the cream will rise to the top and like the best stuff will get seen. So I think that's really exciting. And even if your stuff doesn't get seen, just keep making things until you're better, until it does get seen. That's sort of like my approach. <laughs> that's, a cra- you know? yeah, that's exactly what I say. It was like, just keep, yeah. be, if you can't be good, be prolific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. You know, and, and cause I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, oh, I want to start directing. I want to start doing this. I'm like, just go shoot stuff. Like if you really want to direct, you're going to have a lifetime of making things. So don't be so precious about what you're doing or make something perfect. Like go make some garbage and then next time make some little bit less garbage, you know, until right. until it becomes good. I, I push that 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 concept all the time. Now, 
how do you achieve a work-life balance, man? Because <laughs> you, I mean, oh. you're constantly running around all over the world shooting these things. You know, what kind of advice do you have to have that kind of work-life balance? Which I think all of us as filmmakers have a problem with because we're we're, yeah. car- we're carnies. We're carnies in general. Of, of, co- of course, yeah. <laughs> I think that that that's been like my biggest lesson. You know what I mean? Because you know, when you first move to LA, it's like you're hustling so hard and you're like trying to get every single job, and it's like again Saturday night, ten o'clock. You could go out or you could like work on a script or like work on some edits, you know what I mean? And so and, – and when you're really driven, you want to do that, right? And I think that that's good and I think that there's a part of your career that like you have to put in those hours and you have to put in that work. But at some point, you know, after years and years of doing that, I, I sort of like took a step back and was like, why am I working so hard? Like I'm just working to work more. I need to really like find this balance. And so – it's one of those things for me that I have to actively put effort into creating a balance, into stopping work. You know, certain days like 7 p.m., I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm taking like a mental break from whatever whatever I'm working on to just not think about work. And I ultimately think that that makes me a more productive and a more proficient sort of, uh, you know, creative and worker. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just hammering it nonstop, I don't think that that, that actually serves you better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to be able to buckle down, but I, I have to schedule time to go relax or to go surf or to go work out or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that it's just, it just took time to realize the importance of actually scheduling that in to take a break. Cause you, you need it. I, I'm a better director because i let myself have that balance i think yeah because if you burn yourself if you if you keep burning and burning and burning you don't it's just is tough and especially you when become, you don't have a family and when you, when you don't have like yeah. kids or stuff like that it's so easy yeah. to just keep going oh yeah 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 and you just like you just become uninspired you just become tired and uninspired and like y- you lose your excitement because you're always just so in the weeds about every little aspect of your career it's refreshing to take a break and then come back and be like amped to be like, all right, I'm excited to like dive into this script. I'm excited to dive into this edit um, and to get back to it. But if you were working nonstop the three days prior, you'd be like, oh, like, I don't even want to look at this. <laughs> but you for some reason feel obligated and you force yourself because you think that that's the only way to to make it happen. Sure. You know, it, it, that's why I mean, it's like balance is, a, is is the perfect word. It's like you have to bust your ass sometimes, but you have to take a break sometimes too. Now, can you talk a little bit about the importance of having an audience in today's digital world? Yeah, I'm realizing that importance now. And and the way I realized it was, you know, we touched just on this, on this earlier, was like these young kids that are out making videos, you know, that have a couple hundred thousand followers, they're getting jobs that I would want as a director. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait a second. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, these kids are like, I mean, they're making cool stuff. I, I don't want to discredit them, but like they're, you know, they haven't, um, they're not as versed in like production, you know, as someone who's like been in the industry for a while right. and have no fault of their own. They're, they're just out making content, but they're also getting jobs for brands with decent budgets to make cool stuff that I'm like, I, I want that job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and they're getting it because their, their audience is built in. And so upon that realization, and and it was mostly this year, I made it like a commitment to push my presence on social media because it's only going to get bigger. It's not going away. And I think that for me, 
like where I'm at in my career, like I have enough relationships that like, if I never did social media, I'd be fine. I know I'd keep working. I don't necessarily, I don't get, I mean, I, ha- I have gotten some jobs from social media mm-hmm. and gotten some cool ones that I'm excited about, mm-hmm. but m- the majority of my work doesn't come from, from that avenue. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'd be fine without it. But if I invested my time into this aspect of my career, I could get better jobs. I could get more jobs. I can get different jobs that I normally wouldn't get. Mm-hmm. So I'm really trying to put like energy into it and looking at it like an aspect of my career. Sure. It's fun and it's cool, but I'm like, I need to post every day. I need to make sure I'm like letting people know what I'm working on and like really committing to having a presence because it's only going to be more valuable to your career as we move forward. Right. Cause I was watching some of your vlogs uh, that you have on your YouTube channel, which were, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to go to Bali and surf. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> Those are so fun. I mean, for me too, like it's the cool thing about the extra little bonus about doing that stuff is that's how I started filming. I just started filming stuff, you know, me and my friends and putting together fun videos. So like the idea of these vlogs is very much in the same spirit of, of who I was when I started, when I picked up a camera Mm -hmm. and it's like, just film some cool stuff, edit it together, cool and put it out there. That was the essence of like my early beginnings of my career. So it's fun for me to make these videos now and to put them out while I still have other jobs that I'm doing. I still can have that fun that I used to have when I started, started with a camera. Very cool. Now, what and also have it be beneficial to my career, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a win-win. Now, what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business? You know, it, it's, you know, um, it's interesting. Cause like I, I've always been obsessed with that question and I would, you know, I'd Google stories and I try to read sure. how people got their big breaks. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing I determined from doing years of research on that is that <laughs> no one person did it the same way. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? That's exactly. the only thing, that's the only similarity I could draw. Right. Um, and so I, the, the advice would be because of my, the way I, I, I sort of came up and I, you know, I push what, what worked for me, which is going out, making videos, getting better and just making as much stuff as you can. And I think that's even more of like a valuable tip today because you can have, you have these, avenues of distribution. Um, but it's important to just make cool stuff and to keep making stuff and to keep getting better because as you get better, people are going to take notice, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, just, I, I just think it's important to, to learn by doing rather than, you know, just have your, I mean, you guys should read books too. I'm not saying don't mm-hmm. read books, but like, don't just have your head in a book and then think about why you can't go actually make something, go make something. And also maybe read a book or two, but definitely go make something. Educate yourself the- as much as you can. Read books, read, take online courses, uh, all, yeah. you know, watch YouTube videos, but then go make stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that you know, most people that are not quite fully jumping in, the, the, the step that they're missing is just to go make something. You know what I mean? They're just – they're right – Right before they can go pull that trigger mm-hmm. and go do it, there, there's whatever is getting in the way, and there's all these different things that get in the way, be it like money or time or equipment or whatever. But I think that you know anybody who's even considering it has that ability. It's like sure, not everybody in the entire world, but like you probably have a phone you can go shoot with. You can edit a video on your phone now, and and even if you do a short little thirty second thing that has a beginning, middle, and end, that's great practice. And so it's like you can show your fr- your close friends that or your mom that and be like, look at this little thing I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like that's literally where I started. And, you know, all the way up to doing, you know, tour videos for Katie, it was just one step at a time. 
just getting a little bit better each time. So that's that's what I push. Go do that for sure. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Oh, that's a great question. Book. Um, I mean, there's definitely a few. There's one that stands out as far as for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because when I, when I was learning, you know, I'd buy books, I'd read books. But there's so many books out there that are like, these 500 page like Mm -hmm. filmmaking Bible that like so much information and like, it's really hard to, they're like hard reads sometimes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and they they get into all these, this minutia of stuff that like, doesn't really matter. Not that it doesn't matter. It it doesn't 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 matter. matter. It doesn't matter. I've I've read those books. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I found this one. It's called, I think it's called the bare bones guide to indie filmmaking. It's Uh super thin uh-huh. It's like maybe like 40 pages and like has stick drawings in it, but it breaks <laughs> down just the basics of like what you need to, to understand like enough about how a camera works and how editing works to like go and make something after that. So it, it literally is the bare bones like basics. And I think it's on Amazon for like 15 bucks. Nice. Um, but, but that I, I would tell everybody like, go buy this book. You can read it in 25 minutes and it explains like what aperture is. It explains like how it changes up the field it, exp- it explains like how m- much of an angle you want to change when you're getting different angles like just the basics that you need to then go be creative within knowing those parameters of like the general filmmaking tools so i found that book to be really beneficial um to clear up a bunch of all the craziness that i was reading in like these 500 page books <laughs> okay now what lesson took you the longest to learn whether in the film business or in life well, like we touched on the balance thing, okay. you know, for sure. I, I would say, you know, there was probably like five or six years in LA of just grinding nonstop and then having me take a step back and go, wait a second, like, like, where am I enjoying my life? Like after I found a bit of success and been like, okay, I'm not worried about like next month's rent. You know what I mean? I'm okay for a second. Mm-hmm. What am I like, like how, how, where is my enjoyment coming from other than just working, you know? And so I think that the balance it's, it's still a lesson that I'm trying to, you know, navigate around and trying to figure out exactly what the right balance is for me. But it, for me, it's super important for just my overall happiness. And it, and it's been a work in progress for a number of years now. So I would say, yeah, the balance thing. And what are three of your favorite films of all time? Oh, it's a great question. That's a hard <laughs> question, but it's a great question. Sure, sure. Um, I have, yeah, I th- I've, I've thought about this actually. So I think, you know, it's, it's very, my answers are sort of classic in some way and not sort of surprising. Like Pulp Fiction for me, mm-hmm. because of my age when it came out, oh, such seriously. it was such a like atom bomb going off. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that was that was a film that really like inspired me to tell stories. Like I was so enamored with how that story was told, and I was such a, an impressionable age. I was just like, you know, my mind was blown and like what you could do in a film. You know, mm-hmm. so that was like that really inspired me to like want to go make films. And then in similar vein, El Mariachi, mm-hmm. right, you know, Robert Rodriguez was like, I realized like, oh, I could actually go make something, you know? So like looking at Pulp Fiction was like this huge, you know, sort of a bigger budget thing, like with all these stars. I was like, that seems like a pipe dream a little bit, but I want to do it. You know, whereas El Mariachi was like, oh, this guy went to Mexico with his buddy and shot this awesome movie. Like I can, you can do it. You can actually do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So those two really like inspired me to go actually pursue film. And then 
I was at a loss for the third, but I I think <laughs> this is a funny one. But Aladdin is a, <laughs> is one of my favorite That's movies awesome. that I can watch all the time, and and I think it's actually like a really good film to watch for filmmaking because the story is like so the story's so good as far as like the setup the hero's journey like, yeah sure oh totally it's such a great like like example of that Blueprint, and not yeah. only is like the, it's a, it's just a great marriage in between the music and the story and the world that they created um if that's ever on tv i'm like i'm definitely watching Aladdin <laughs> if it ever shows up you know i'll so, argue uh, this is the first time i had uh, aladdin as one of the oh, yeah. uh, out of out of almost 200 episodes no one's it's, ever said aladdin so you I are love aladdin yeah that's awesome no it's a good flick man and robin even the performances like robin williams performance no, is so amazing legendary the music was amazing there's nothing there's nothing at fault with that movie <laughs> so, so i'm not I, I don't know i don't what do you think about the live action that they're gonna do are they doing a live action? They're doing a live action of all the Disney. Oh, they're movies. doing all of them. You know, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see Beauty and the Beast, so I don't know how that came it was, out. It was, it was, it uh, was, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was, sure. it's, it's, it's a. There were moments, but it's like no, it's not as good as the first. No, of course, Jungle Book, but Jungle, doing... but Jungle Book was amazing. Like Jungle Book yeah. was really good, and Lion Jungle King. Book, I mean, Lion King, they're doing right now. Yeah, and they're doing Mulan too. I hear. Yes, they're doing Mulan as well. And Cinderella, I, mean, I didn't. Oh wow! But they made so much money. That's why they could like, wait a minute, how much money can we make? Let's just yeah. go back to the well. <laughs> totally. For for business sense, like it makes perfect sense because like people are gonna go. Well, I mean, I'll definitely go watch Aladdin. I'm not. Ex- I wouldn't expect it. The thing that 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 irks me is I think that people expect to be enamored with like the remake the way they felt about the original. Yeah. Well, and happened. like, and then if people get disappointed. So I'm like, I'm going to go in being like, I'm going to hate this because it's not as good as the original and then find something that I like about it. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Now, where can people find you online? Um, I'm most active on the Instagram is my most active social the media Insta- platform. The Instagram, yes. The Instagram, yeah. yes. <laughs> I like calling it the the Facebook, the Instagram is kind of how and I And the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the Twitter. Um, so Coleone is a nickname I've had for years. So C-O-L-I-O-N-E. Uh-huh. Um, and that's kind of like where I I... I Put all my stuff out, and then and then YouTube, of course, for all the vlogs, which is my full name, Cole Walliser, YouTube.com/slash Cole Walliser. Um, I'm on Facebook and stuff, but not not really. So those are the two avenues I think you can find me and keep up to date. I mean, also on my website, uh, ColeWalliser.com, okay. I post everything I create, and mm-hmm. all my work is on there. Uh, so that's a good place to see that stuff. And awesome. Those would be the three spots. Cole, man, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to share your adventures in the music video, commercial, and digital content world with us Absolutely. in the tribe, man. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I hope you guys got some inspiration from Cole. And, and just to know that you guys can go out there and do it no matter what. You don't need uh, film school. You can go out there and just make stuff. Make Go out and shoot films. Make commercials, make music videos, shoot short films, shoot feature films. Educate yourself. There is more than enough education out on the internet alone that you is like having a film school on demand, either from YouTube or getting you know low cost online film courses, reading books. Educate yourselves. You can go out there and make it happen. So I want to thank Cole for coming on and inspiring the tribe to go out there and make it happen for themselves. If you want any information about anything we talked about in this episode, please head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 215 for the show notes. And then there, of course, we'll have the information about the slam dance uh, talk that I'm going to be doing on Saturday, the 20th, between 2.30 and 4.30 at 
the Treasure Mountain Inn at the top of Main Street. Now, I have a lot of stuff uh, going on at, at Sundance this year. Uh, we're going to be doing, I already got some amazing interviews lined up. I cannot wait to share them with you. Um, I'm going to probably release them when I get back because I'm just going to be doing too much stuff while I'm there. There will be some other uh, podcasts going out this week. Uh, and then I'll start one next week around Wednesday. I'll probably release the next one. And then I'm going to start releasing all of this content out uh, while Sundance is still going on next week. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up. And I've got, you know, a really big kind of thing I'm working on. I'm going to talk to you guys about that later. But just know that there's a big surprise for you guys coming up very, very soon. And I think you guys, your minds are going to be blown when uh, when I tell you guys this stuff. So don't forget to share this podcast with as many people as you can, as many filmmakers as you can. Please retweet. Please share stuff on Facebook. Email your friends. Let them know about the podcast because I really want to get this information out to everybody and build up the tribe and build up the indie film hustle movement to show as many filmmakers, screenwriters, and artists out there how to survive and thrive in this film business. So Keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.